Section 23 of Volume 1F of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Dennison. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume, Volume 1, F, Section 23, Chapter 67, Part 2. There was danger, however, lest time might open the eyes of the public, when the murder of Godfrey completed the general delusion, and rendered the prejudices of the nation absolutely incurable. This magistrate had been missing some days, and after much search and many surmises, his body was found lying in a ditch at Primrose Hill. The marks of strangling were thought to appear about his neck, and some contusions on his breast. His own sword was sticking in the body, but as no considerable quantity of blood ensued on drawing it out, it was concluded that it had been thrust in after his death, and that he had not killed himself. He had rings on his fingers and money in his pocket. It was therefore inferred that he had not fallen into the hands of robbers. Without further reasoning, the cry rose that he had been assassinated by the papist, on account of his taking Oates' evidence. This clamor was quickly propagated, and met with universal belief. The panic spread itself on every side with infinite rapidity, and all men, astonished with fear and animated with rage, saw in Godfrey's fate all the horrible designs ascribed to the Catholics, and no further doubt remained of Oates' veracity. The voice of the nation united against that hated sect, and notwithstanding that the bloody conspiracy was supposed to be now detected, men could scarcely be persuaded that their lives were yet in safety. Each hour teemed with new rumors and surmises, invasions from abroad, insurrections at home, even private murders and poisonings were apprehended. To deny the reality of the plot was to be an accomplice. To hesitate was criminal. Royalist, Republican, Churchman, Sectary, Courtier, Patriot, all parties concurred in the illusion. The city prepared for its defense as if the enemy were at its gates. The chains and posts were put up, and it was noted, saying at the time of Sir Thomas Player, the Chamberlain, that were it not for these precautions, all the citizens might rise next morning with their throats cut. In order to propagate the popular frenzy, several artifices were employed. The dead body of Godfrey was carried into the city, attended by vast multitudes. It was publicly exposed in the streets and viewed by all ranks of men, and every one who saw it went away inflamed, as well by the mutual contagion of sentiments as by the dismal spectacle itself. The funeral pomp was celebrated with great parade. The corpse was conducted through the chief streets of the city. Seventy-two clergymen marched before. Above a thousand persons of distinction followed after and at the funeral sermon two able-bodied divines mounted the pulpit, and stood on each side of the preacher, 
lest in paying the last duties to this unhappy magistrate he should before the whole people be murdered by the papists in this disposition of the nation reason could no more be heard than a whisper in the midst of the most violent hurricane even at present godfrey's murder can scarcely upon any system be rationally accounted for that he was assassinated by the catholics seems utterly improbable these religionists could not be engaged to commit that crime from policy in order to deter other magistrates from acting against them godfrey's fate was nowise capable of producing that effect unless it were publicly known that the catholics were his murderers an opinion which it was easy to foresee must prove the ruin of their party besides how many magistrates during more than a century had acted in the most violent manner against the catholics without its being ever suspected that any one had been cut off by assassination such jealous times as the present were surely ill-fitted for beginning these dangerous experiments shall we therefore say that the catholics were pushed on not by policy but by blind revenge against godfrey but godfrey had given them little or no occasion of offence in taking oates evidence his part was merely an act of form belonging to his office nor could he or any man in his station possibly refuse it in the rest of his conduct he lived on good terms with the catholics and was far from distinguishing himself by his severity against that sect it is even certain that he had contracted an intimacy with coleman and took care to inform his friend of the danger to which by reason of oates evidence he was at present exposed there are some writers who finding it impossible to account for godfrey's murder by the machinations of the catholics have recourse to the opposite supposition they lay hold of that obvious presumption that those commit the crime who reap advantage by it and they affirm that it was shaftesbury and the heads of the popular party who perpetrated that deed in order to throw the odium of it on the papists if this supposition be received it must also be admitted that the whole plot was the contrivance of these politicians and that oates acted altogether under their direction but it appears that oates dreading probably the opposition of powerful enemies had very anxiously acquitted the duke danby ormond and all the ministry persons who were certainly the most obnoxious to the popular leaders besides the whole texture of the plot contains such low absurdity that it is impossible to have been the invention of any man of sense or education it is true the more monstrous and horrible the conspiracy the better was it fitted to terrify and thence to convince the populace but this effect we may safely say no one could beforehand have expected and a fool was in this case more likely to succeed than a wise man had shaftesbury laid the plan of a popish conspiracy he had probably rendered it moderate consistent credible and on that very account had never met with the prodigious success with which oates tremendous fictions were attended we must therefore be contented to remain forever ignorant of the actors in godfrey's murder and only pronounce in general that that event 
in all likelihood, had no connection, one way or other, with the popish plot. Any man, especially so active a magistrate as Godfrey, might, in such a city as London, have many enemies, of whom his friends and family had no suspicion. He was a melancholy man, and there is some reason, notwithstanding the pretended appearances to the contrary, to suspect that he fell by his own hands. The affair was never examined with tranquillity, or even with common sense, during the time, and it is impossible for us at this distance certainly to account for it. No one doubted but the papist had assassinated Godfrey, but still the particular actors were unknown. A proclamation was issued by the king, offering a pardon and a reward of five hundred pounds to any one who should discover them. As it was afterwards surmised that the terror of a like assassination would prevent discovery, a new proclamation was issued, promising absolute protection to any one who should reveal the secret. Thus were indemnity, money, and security offered to the fairest bidder, and no one needed to fear, during the present fury of the people, that his evidence would undergo too severe a scrutiny. While the nation was in this ferment, the Parliament was assembled. In his speech the king told them that, though they had given money for disbanding the army, he had found Flanders so exposed that he had thought it necessary still to keep them on foot, and doubted not but this measure would meet with their approbation. He informed them that his revenue lay under great anticipations, and at best was never equal to the constant and necessary expense of government, as would appear from the state of it which he intended to lay before them. He also mentioned the plot formed against his life by Jesuits, but said that he would forbear delivering any opinion of the matter, lest he should seem to say too much or too little, and that he would leave the scrutiny of it entirely to the law. The king was anxious to keep the question of the popish plot from the Parliament, where he suspected many designing people would very much abuse the present credulity of the nation. But Danby, who hated the Catholics, and courted popularity, and perhaps hoped that the king, if his life were believed in danger from the Jesuits, would be more cordially loved by the nation, had entertained opposite designs. And the very first day of the session he opened the matter in the House of Peers. The king was extremely displeased with this temerity, and told his minister, Though you do not believe it, you will find that you have given the Parliament a handle to ruin yourself, as well as to disturb all my affairs, and you will surely live to repent it. Danby had afterwards sufficient reason to applaud the sagacity of his master. The cry of the plot was immediately echoed from one house to the other. The authority of Parliament gave sanction to that fury which the people were already agitated. An address was voted for a solemn fast, a form of prayer was contrived for that solemnity, and because the popish plot had been omitted in the first draft, it was carefully ordered to be inserted, lest omniscience should want intelligence, to use the words of an historian. In order to continue and propagate the alarm, addresses were voted for laying before the House such papers as might discover the horrible conspiracy. 
for the removal of popish recusants from london for administering everywhere the oaths of allegiance and supremacy for denying access at court to all unknown or suspicious persons and for appointing the train bands of london and westminster to be in readiness the lords powis stafford arundel peters and bellasis were committed to the tower and were soon after impeached for high treason and both houses after hearing oates evidence voted that the lords and commons are of opinion that there hath been and still is a damnable and hellish plot contrived and carried on by the popish recusants for assassinating the king for subverting the government and for rooting out and destroying the protestant religion so vehement were the houses that they sat every day forenoon and afternoon on the subject of the plot for no other business could be attended to a committee of lords was appointed to examine prisoners and witnesses blank warrants were put into their hands for the commitment of such as should be accused or suspected oates who though his evidence were true must by his own account be regarded as an infamous villain was by every one applauded caressed and called the savior of the nation he was recommended by the parliament to the king he was lodged in whitehall protected by guards and encouraged by a pension of one thousand two hundred pounds a year it was not long before such bountiful encouragement brought forth new witnesses william bedloe a man if possible more infamous than gates appeared next upon the stage he was of very low birth had been noted for several cheats and even thefts had travelled over many parts of europe under borrowed names and frequently passed himself for a man of quality and had endeavoured by a variety of lies and contrivances to prey upon the ignorant and unwary when he appeared before the council he gave intelligence of godfrey's murder only which he said had been perpetrated in somerset house where the queen lived by papists some of them servants in her family he was questioned about the plot but utterly denied all knowledge of it and also asserted that he had no acquaintance with oates next day when examined before the committee of lords he bethought himself better and was ready to give an ample account of the plot which he found so anxiously inquired into this narrative he made to tally as well as he could with that of oates which had been published but that he might make himself acceptable by new matter he added some other circumstances and these still more tremendous and extraordinary he said that ten thousand men were to be landed from flanders in burlington bay and immediately to seize hull that jersey and guernsey were to be surprised by forces from brest and that a french fleet was all last summer hovering in the channel for that purpose that the lords powis and peters were to form an army in radnorshire to be joined by another army consisting of twenty or thirty thousand religious men and pilgrims who were to land at milford haven from st lago in spain that there were forty thousand men ready in london besides those who would on the alarm be posted at every alehouse door in order to kill the soldiers as they came out of their quarters 
that Lord Stafford, Coleman, and Father Ireland had money sufficient to defray the expenses of all these armaments, that he himself was to receive four thousand pounds as one that could murder a man, as also a commission from Lord Ballasus, and a benediction from the Pope that the king was to be assassinated, all the Protestants massacred who would not seriously be converted, the government offered to one if he would consent to hold it of the church, but if he should refuse that condition, as was suspected, the supreme authority would be given to certain lords under the nomination of the Pope. In a subsequent examination before the commons, Bedloe added, for these men always brought out their intelligence successively and by piecemeal, that Lord Carrington was also in the conspiracy for raising men and money against the government, as was likewise Lord Brudenell. These noblemen, with all their other persons mentioned by Bedloe, were immediately committed to custody by the Parliament. It is remarkable that the only resource of Spain in her present decayed condition lay in the assistance of England, and so far from being in a situation to transport ten thousand men for the invasion of that kingdom, she had solicited and obtained English forces to be sent into the garrisons of Flanders, which were not otherwise able to defend themselves against the French. The French, too, we may observe, were at that very time in open war with Spain, and yet are supposed to be engaged in the same design against England, as if religious motives were become the sole actuating principle among sovereigns. But none of these circumstances, however obvious, were able, when set in opposition to multiplied horrors, antipathies, and prejudices, to engage the least attention of the populace, for such the whole nation were at this time become. The popish plot passed for incontestable, and had not men soon expected with certainty the legal punishment of these criminals, the Catholics had been exposed to the hazard of a universal massacre. The torrent, indeed, of national prejudices ran so high that no one, without the most imminent danger, durst venture openly to oppose it. Nay, scarcely any one, without great force of judgment, could even secretly entertain an opinion contrary to the prevailing sentiments. The loud and unanimous voice of a great nation has mighty authority over weak minds, and even later historians are so swayed by the concurring judgment of the multitudes, that some of them have esteemed themselves sufficiently moderate when they affirmed that many circumstances of the plot were true, though some were added, and others much magnified. But it is an obvious principle that a witness who perjures himself in one circumstance is credible in none, and the authority of the plot, even to the end of the prosecutions, stood entirely upon witnesses. Though the Catholics had seen suddenly and unexpectedly detected, at the very moment when their conspiracy, it is said, was ripe for execution, no arms, no ammunition, no money, no commissions, no papers, no letters, after the most rigorous search ever were discovered to confirm the evidence of Oates and Bedloe. Yet still the nation, though often frustrated, went on in the eager pursuit and confident belief of the conspiracy, 
and even the manifold inconsistencies and absurdities contained in the narratives, instead of discouraging them, served only as further incentives to discover the bottom of the plot, and were considered as slight objections, which a more complete information would fully remove. In all history, it will be difficult to find such another instance of popular frenzy and bigoted delusion. In order to support the panic among the people, especially among the citizens of London, a pamphlet was published with this title, A Narrative and Impartial Discovery of the Horrid Popish Plot, carried on for burning and destroying the cities of London and Westminster with their suburbs, setting forth the several consults, orders, and resolutions of the Jesuits concerning the same, by Captain William Bedloe lately engaged in that horrid design and one of the popish committee for carrying on such fires every fire which had happened for several years past is there ascribed to the machinations of the jesuits who purposed as bedloe said by such attempts to find an opportunity for the general massacre of the protestants and in the meantime were well pleased to enrich themselves by pilfering goods from the fire the king, though he scrupled not, wherever he could speak freely, to throw the highest ridicule on the plot, and on all who believed it, yet found it necessary to adopt the popular opinion before the Parliament. The torrent, he saw, ran too strong to be controlled, and he could only hope, by a seeming compliance, to be able, after some time, to guide and direct and elude its fury. He made, therefore, a speech to both houses, in which he told them that he would take the utmost care of his person during these times of danger, that he was as ready as their hearts could wish to join with them in all means for establishing the Protestant religion, not only during his own time, but for all future ages, and that, provided the right of succession were preserved, he would consent to any laws for restraining a popish successor. And in conclusion, he exhorted them to think of effectual means for the conviction of popish recusants. And he highly praised the duty and loyalty of all his subjects who had discovered such anxious concern for his safety. These gracious expressions abated nothing of the vehemence of parliamentary proceedings. A bill was introduced for a new test, in which popery was denominated idolatry, and all members who refused this test were excluded from both houses. The bill passed the Commons without much opposition, but in the upper house the Duke moved that an exception might be admitted in his favor. With great earnestness, and even with tears in his eyes, he told them that he was now to cast himself on their kindness, in the greatest concern which he could have in the world. And he protested that, whatever his religion might be, it should only be a private thing between God and his own soul, and never should appear in his public conduct. Notwithstanding this strong effort in so important a point, he prevailed only by two voices— a sufficient indication of the general disposition of the people. I would not have, said a noble peer in the debate on this bill, so much as a popish man or a popish woman to remain here, 
not so much as a popish dog or a popish bitch, not so much as a popish cat to purr or mew about the king. What is more extraordinary, this speech met with praise and approbation. End of section 23, chapter 67, part 2. Recording by Jim Dennison, J-I-M-D-E-N-I-S-O-N, voice.com.